Thundergrunt. What is wrong with you? How dare you try to ruin my moment? It's always your moment! When's my moment? You had your moment when you got married before your older sister, which is an aggressive and hateful act in any culture. This isn't about you. This is about me and Paul and... and... Stop it! I'm not having a baby with you. Paul? I want a divorce. Oh, well. Ooh. Ugh. Mom is going to be so disappointed. I guess you better... Give us the good China. Like your marriage is so perfect. You nearly banged Jimmy last week. What? That happened also. But it was it was part of this thing where we were competing to bang our exes. What is wrong with you two? Hobo Radio, the official podcast of HoboTrashCan.com. You can share your thoughts on the show anytime by emailing Joel at Murphy's Law at HoboTrashCan.com. Hey, it's Jan Varney. You're listening to Hobo Radio, and I gotta go because I just finished my can of beans and I got a train to hop. And now, your host, miniature dog enthusiast, Joel Murphy. Hello again. I'm Joel Murphy. This is Hobo Radio. And today, we're bringing you a special Hobo Radio interview with Janet Varney. I am a big fan of Janet Varney. Like a lot of you, I've been watching her recently in You're the Worst as Becca. Uh, you know, the sort of catalyst for Jimmy and Gretchen to meet and sort of, uh, you know, just a, a terrible character all around. But like everybody on that show, terrible in a really charming way. And, uh, you know, I've really loved her in that role. I also am a big fan of her uh, portrayal of Carly on uh, Burning Love. And uh, I also just have been uh, really enjoying her on Paul F. Tompkins' podcast, Spontanea Nation. So I was very excited to get a chance to talk to Janet Varney, and uh, we had a really lovely conversation. We talked about how she got into the business and, uh, you know, just her sort of arc. And uh, we talked about Legend of Korra. You know, we talked about all the good stuff. We talked about her role in Catwoman, uh, which was one of her first roles in Hollywood. And, uh, you know, she was just really lovely to talk to. And I think the interview came out really well. And I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. So without further ado, here is my interview with Janet Varney. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Uh, No problem. No problem. Happy to do it. I'm glad we were able to find a little quick time to do it before uh, I head up to San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely want to talk to you about all the Sketchfest stuff. But uh, first, just to uh, for my own, just I like to go chronologically. um, How uh, how did you get into acting? Oh, boy. Well, I've kind of been doing that um, 
my whole life, which I, I, I don't mean to say is like the same way as, um, people who are like child actors with agents and doing commercials and stuff like that. Definitely. That was not me, but, um, uh, I did start doing it when I was in first grade. Uh, I went to a magnet school in Tucson, Arizona and, uh, program that, you know, sort of, I don't know how familiar with, with magnet public schools, but you know, they tend to emphasize different areas of study (laughs) about a first grade. Oh, my emphasis of studying first grade was theater. No, it was just, it was a magnet school that, that pulled, you know, all different kids from, uh, social socioeconomic backgrounds and, and different, um, ethnic backgrounds and, and, uh, put them all in one place, which I think is kind of a great thing not to get into the politics of education, but, um, this, this public school's emphasis was on fine arts. So and performing arts. So, you know, they just offered like fun crafts, all the stuff that I think all kids should have that, that kind of flushes them out into better human beings, but, um, that becomes very precious when you don't have a big budget for education. So this was a school where, you know, we got to make stuff and learn how to play instruments and, you know, uh, do plays. So that was really something that I started really, really young through school, but I never, I didn't, I wasn't a kid who did anything outside of school. I just did the school plays and stuff. And, um, and so that's what I went to college for. But when I was in college, I thought this is going to probably be the last time I do this because no one can make a living doing this. So I should enjoy it while it lasts. Uh, so sort of, I, I was more pragmatic as a, as a 17 year old kid than I guess I am now. <laughs> <laughs> so did you have, weirdly? A, did you have a plan? Like what, what was the path that you were going to go down? Well, I really, uh, <laughs> I really didn't have one. <laughs> um, I, I started with the, I started pursuing, um, theater as a major, I think my sophomore year, my freshman year, I was, very much conflicted. I just wasn't sure if I, if I thought it was even worth it. I was like, what am I going to do with this? Am I going to teach? Like what I just, I wasn't one of those young people who has, and I have tremendous sympathy for, for sort of aimless youth, even if, you know, whether they're bright or not, I just really can understand, um, the sense of like, wait, I'm supposed to know what I want to do when I, in my case, I was 17 when I graduated from high school. And before that, of course, you're looking at colleges. So like, oh, I'm 16 and I'm supposed to have this sort of sense of what my entire life course is going to look like based on wherever I go to school. Um, and I didn't have any money. So, you know, I don't, my parents were both teachers, so I didn't have any money. Um, so yeah, I just kind of, um, I didn't, I think I was undeclared year of college and I, um, really settled on theater because honestly, I just wasn't, I didn't feel like I had anything better or anything that I cared more about. So then did you, kind of it. uh, so then did you, uh, graduate college and just continue to pursue it? Like, was this always, even if you You didn't know it? Well, not really. I, I actually, (laughs) uh, I, so I, so I kind of took care of my performing credit, like all the sort of like, you know, performing, writing, um, like sort of costumes, like anything that sort of falls in the less technical um, more creative side. Uh, I took care of all of that stuff for my major at NAU, which is the college that I went to for my first two and a half years, which is in, um, Flagstaff, Arizona. And then I 
um, left school to move to San Francisco and establish residency. Um, so you had to work for a year to become a California resident. And then I could go for with in-state tuition to San Francisco state. And really by the time I moved to San Francisco, I had determined that I wasn't going to complete my degree in theater and I was going to pursue something else. Cause I really knew I couldn't afford to live in San Francisco if, uh, if I was pursuing theater. So when I got there, I had kind of already got to the point where I thought, I think I'm going to actually pursue like, um, architecture and interior design kind of stuff. And, um, I, I don't know if this is still true, but the degree that you get at SF state, um, if you're studying that, I know this sounds crazy, but the degree like on your diploma is home economics. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. And I was like, I can't, I can't look, I won't be able to look myself in the eye. Like this feels so 1950s. Like I learned how to make an apple pie. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't like, so I, mean, I, not, uh, I feel like where else would you show that except on a date? Like what, you know, like, I guess. Yeah, I, I know. It's just, it just like, it was, it haunted me. Uh, <laughs> so, and then I also sort of looked at, you know, sort of what I, what I was really looking at in terms of all of the, um, all of the credits that I already had that just wouldn't have served for, towards anything. Um, and, uh, and so I ended up just sticking with theater. Um, but as I was sticking with it, it really was like, well, this is just what makes the most sense for me to do it. Not because it's going to be something I pursue professionally, but because this is, what I already have so many credits in. And at the time I was working as, um, we had a few different jobs, um, in San Francisco, but they all were kind of leaning into this sort of interior design or decorating. I mean, I worked as a part-time sales associate at Pottery Barn, uh, for the holidays. And then they kind of kept me on and kept promoting me. And, um, then I went and worked for a really kind of shishi interior design firm as a project manager. And then I, went, this is all when I was still in school part-time. And then I went and worked as a buyer for this other kind of home furnishing store. So that's really, I sort of thought where I would end up was owning my own store. Um, that was kind of the pie in the sky dream um, when I was in my very early twenties and I was in a band. I wasn't doing any acting at all. And then a couple of friends that I uh, had had from college said, we're going to, we want to start a comedy group and we think you should um, be in it with us. And, uh, and I said, I, I mean, first of all, I'd never taken a single, um, class in like comedy or anything. I mean, I, I was a goof, I guess, but I, I, I definitely wasn't, I had not taken, you know, improv in school or, you know, been in, in any sketch groups or anything like that. So I was really reluctant and, um, they just kind of dragged me in and made me keep coming and it was really fun. And, uh, we started doing some shows and, and, uh, that's how we ended up starting our festival actually. because we were looking for places to perform in San Francisco and it was really hard to find a place that wasn't a stand up comedy club where people would go, you know, what are these fools doing? Um, so we partnered with, um, five other groups that we knew in San Francisco and said, what if we turn this into a sort of festival where we rent a theater for a month and we all take turns, um, co-headlining with each other. And because we didn't want to do a million shows, you know, we just wanted to do a fair amount. So <clears throat> over the course of that month, we just kept rotating out. So it'd be, you know, each, each group got a chance to perform a couple of times with a different group. 
and uh, and it just went really well, and and we sold out, and um, like all of our shows, and so that's how we started growing the festival. It really was from the ground up. We didn't know anything about producing a festival, but the next year we thought, well, how hard can it be for us to, you know, um, invite people to apply? Other young sketch groups from other cities. Everyone loves San Francisco. They love coming here. So that's really kind of where that started, and uh, and that's also how it ended up being a career for me is that because we were doing that and because we were doing some shows um, that people in Los Angeles who are very, very smart managers, my first managers had um, recruited a lot of their talent out of San Francisco. And, um, and so they always would, they, I guess they just knew, they sort of knew like, here's this place that's, you know, a 45 minute flight away where we can see really great up and coming comedy that no one in LA is bothering with. And we can, you know, break them into show business or whatever. I'm not sure, but they definitely really believed in, in the sort of, uh, San Francisco scene. And, um, and so they, uh, they coaxed me down there. Our group got invited to perform at the HBO Aspen comedy festival. And, um, and that's really, you know, I just kind of ended up doing it because people kept saying you're, you're stupid to not you know, take these opportunities. There are people who live down in LA and bus tables and work so hard to try to get the kind of exposure that you've accidentally stumbled onto. Don't be an idiot. And, uh, <laughs> and so I was really reluctant. I really was. Um, and, and, uh, and, but, you know, I just, I guess I started working and there was as scary as it was. And I think this is true for a lot of people who end up doing the thing they love it's terrifying uh, as much as it is exciting because you suddenly realize oh this is what it feels like to really do what you're passionate about and oh my god what if this gets taken away from me so it's sort of a you know it's just an interesting again like anything like relationships or finding that right you know career or that right hobby you when it clicks in it's both exhilarating and terrifying yeah no that's got to be an awesome feeling but do you think that's what held you back like looking at it now do you think that that was just kind of you protecting yourself or do you really think that you just truly backed I into it I don't know <laughs> that's a great question I honestly don't know I know that sounds nuts but <laughs> I yeah I um I just uh I, I'm just not sure I really thought okay I'm you know I I'm 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 not going to do this thing that I think is enjoyable. I don't even know. I mean, it wasn't even like something I felt lacking in my life when my friend, you know, kind of came at me and said, let's do this comedy thing. I just, I don't know. I think now I can't say for sure, but I think I probably would have been fine if I hadn't <laughs> ended up doing it. I don't know. It's been such a long time now that I, I think about it. I mean, I think we all, in this business have that, you know, people say don't have a backup plan because you'll just fall into it because it's too hard to not know what your next job is going to be or to feel like you're at the mercy of show business. Um, but I, but I always kind of did have this sense of, well, I guess if this all goes away, I'll just go back to plan because this was, I guess, plan B in a weird way. <laughs> it was like, I guess I'll go back to plan A if plan B doesn't work. But in a lot of ways, I do think that is the right attitude to have with like, you know, to you approached it very pragmatically of like, all right, well, this is fun and let's see how it works. And then that worked out really well for you where it does kind of help if it hadn't gone the way that it did. Right. Um, yeah. 
but I, uh, so when I was looking up stuff, uh, for you, I went to your IMDb and it, the third thing that is listed on your IMDb, I don't know if you've looked at it, is it says that you are known for playing party girl and Catwoman. <laughs> <laughs> So I of course have to sure, ask you. Everyone's talking about it. <laughs> everyone's talking. About well, you it. know that beloved classic action movie. Uh-huh. <laughs> you were party girl. That's the grossest thing that IMDb does. It just takes whatever thing. I don't even understand that, but it's true for other friends too. I've looked at. Um, I've you know sort of been looking up someone for Sketchfest to like list whatever their credit is going to be or what have you, and and yeah, sure enough. Uh, <laughs> sure enough, I'll see whatever the top movie is that they were a glorified extra in, and it'll say, like you said, it'll go known for, and then they'll show you three things. And every single time, almost without fail, I'm like, what? Known for what? Yeah. Known for popcorn seller in, you know, this, uh, it's a wonderful life. Like, uh, what's happening? So. Yeah, I hope you're yeah. not offended. I did see Catwoman in the theater no, no, when it no. was released, and I, I I can't say that I remember Party Girl, but I'm sure you were great. Um, I, I am very insulted, and I need to end this call. <laughs> um, no, no, I uh, I don't blame you. I it was my first. Like I don't even. I to be honest with you, I don't know what the other two things are that are listed above that. Like uh, whatever is thir- whatever it falls third from whatever the other two things are. I can't think of what they are because I Catwoman really was the first job I got that I can think of. Um, it might've been like a friend's, you know, independent movie or something that I did when I was filming in San Francisco, but I, I don't even know what those other two things are. Um, because I hadn't even moved to LA yet. I was just down here, um, staying on a friend's couch auditioning for stuff. And, uh, and I got that and it was definitely a, a very immediate um, introduction to initiation to the way the business works, which is, you know, just, uh, I think what I, I think what we found out was that it was additional scenes, like the whole movie had been shot, but it tested something. Listen, again, I can't say that this is, I'm not like the expert on Catwoman. So I, I could be completely wrong about this, but what I remember anecdotally was that they had shot the whole rest of the movie, but I think part of it had tested so poorly <laughs> <laughs> that they had to reshoot some of it or that for, for some reason, this was an extra pickup, you know, scene. I don't think that it had even existed in the original version or if it had, they had to reshoot it for some reason. And so it, it was already, it already felt like a sort of haphazard, like, I feel like the crew was like, we thought we were done with this job kind <laughs> of thing. And we shot all night long and it was just one of those, like, you know, they bring you in at like two in the afternoon and then you just don't even do anything until like 2 a.m. Um, it was, it was definitely uh, very unglamorous. And I, I think I, I even remember thinking like, oh, great, like, this is what I signed up for. This is exactly why I didn't want to do this. Um, because it was not, uh, it was not that exciting. But having said that, I did go see the movie in the theater as well. And my name was in the credits and that was very thrilling. (laughs) So they got me, they got me after all. (laughs) And you saved the movie. You did that one pickup scene that made Catwoman. I did. I did. That's why it won the Razzie. I think probably because of that, that marvelous scene. 
Uh, well, you'll be happy to know the yeah. the two before it are The Legend of Korra, which makes a lot of sense, and uh, Drillbit oh. Taylor. Oh, that's nice. Drillbit Taylor uh-huh. is number two. So <laughs> there you go. Sure. Okay, so it's not even chronological. It's just like that for some reason those they've they've taken the most popular. The, probably the most popular thing I've done. And then they just threw two movies that had giant budgets after it. Yeah. Regardless of <laughs> what my participation is. I get it. We've, we've, we've cracked this code. You and me, Joel, this is great. I'm, I'm glad you can let your friends know that yeah. we figured it out. I really, I really will. I got to send out a, a newsy letter to everybody. <laughs> well, let's, uh, I, I do want to talk a little bit about the, the legend of Korra. Obviously that probably is, I don't know if that's the thing most people know you from, but that's obviously a very cool, uh, project that you, you've uh, been a part of how did that come about and uh what is it like doing voice acting uh it's it, you know it came about just through um an audition i had uh i really didn't have a lot of voiceover experience almost none um uh a couple of years into being here i think i really had um i was very intimidated by it i i think i felt like um it it seemed like something I, it seemed like something it's funny in this, but I hope this is just like a written interview and not a podcast because I feel really bad for you. The amount I'm stammering right now. Um, the, I feel like there was this, there's a sense and maybe this is true for a lot of people down here, but I think again, because I wasn't pursuing this, um, avidly and because I, I mean, I, I certainly put in my time be, having my heart broken and all that kind of stuff. I don't want it to seem like I was, you know, I have friends who, you know, graduate from the UCB program, um, and get on a hit show and immediately are making like $50,000 a week. So that is not me. I have not, I did not have that experience. I was not like a golden child by any stretch of the imagination. Was I luckier than many? Yes. Was I as lucky as many more? No. Um, but I did have this sort of G like golly G kind of perspective about the whole thing again, because it wasn't something I was pursuing. And because I had been reluctant to even be coaxed down to, to LA. So I had this sort of sense that I think served me well, because certainly desperation is like something that people can smell when you walk into an audition room. I, I, I think that's a chemical thing, <laughs> a fact, but, uh, and I didn't have that because I was so skeptical of the whole thing. So I think in that way, you know, that kind of maybe served me, but I also had this sort of like, why me? And, Oh, this will, this, why would I get this? Or how is this even happening? Or, you know, God, I wouldn't know the first thing about X, Y, Z. And, and so even after I started working, um, as an actor, I still felt that about other things. And I think that probably is true for maybe, um, other people who didn't even have the experience beginning that I did. I think that you might look at in the same way that a stand up looks at improv and says, I don't know how you do that. Or, uh, a, a soap opera actor looks at a comedian and says, I don't know how you do that. And the comedian says, I don't know how you do what you do. Um, there was a sense of that for me with voiceover, but it was also something that I had a secret fantasy as many of us do about being a cartoon character voice. Um, so even though I didn't have a whole lot of experience, I had gone to my commercial agent who had a great voiceover department, which is where I still am for voiceover, which is Abrams artists and said, you know, I don't know how to do this, but I, I would love to try. And so they set me up with some, you know, they said, here's where you should go for coaching. And we're going to give, we actually give some free classes through our 
um, agency as well. And so I did all that stuff and, um, they were kind enough to start submitting me with auditions and, um, Nickelodeon is a, is a really, really great network for understanding and appreciating comedians. I mean, they just get it and they love comedians and they don't care if, you know, certain people do that do the dirtiest stand up in the world can still be cartoon voices. It, they're, they're not, they're not overly precious about, Oh, just because, you know, I'm trying to give a good example, but just because somebody does th- this, you know, the stand-up routine that like we would never let our children watch doesn't mean that they can't be a great comedic actor and they're not worried about that bleeding over one to the other. Um, and, and that's one of the things I love about them because I've seen some of my favorite comedians and, and comic actors get roles on, on kids programming, which I think is great. And so they, um, they, I guess, had some sense of me maybe in that regard and, and they started bringing me into audition. And so Coral was, I think maybe the second job that I booked through Nickelodeon and I, I couldn't believe it. And I just didn't, I couldn't believe that I was even in the running and it was a long process. Uh, all things considered, you know, they brought me in a few different times and by the end they had us kind of doing chemistry reads with some other people that were in the mix. And, uh, and when I finally got it, I, I guess I didn't realize it had already been picked up to series. I thought it was just a pilot. And, uh, and so I almost had a heart attack when I, when they said, no, 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 you don't understand. This is, this is the thing that will be on the air. Um, I was, I was just gobsmacked. I was so thrilled. I mean, I, I've told this story many times, but I, I quite literally jumped up and down in a public place uh, when I was on the phone finding out that I got it. So, um, yeah, it was great. I'm, I'm, I can't even believe how lucky I was to get that job. And I, I love that show and I love all the people I worked on it with. So, uh, well, I also wanted to ask you about, uh, you're the worst, which is a, a show that I really love. And I, I find you delightful on, uh, just what is oh, it? Good. Delight- <laughs> delightfully hateful, delightfully hateful. Yeah. You're, <laughs> yeah, so you're a great nemesis. I don't even know. What... Oh God. I know. Well, this is sort of the problems. Like everyone on the show is kind of a nemesis to someone else or to themselves. So, yeah, it, it's hard to say that there's a true hero of that show, except uh, maybe Edgar would be the closest. Yeah, Edgar's a real sweetie. Yeah, he's like I said, he's he gets in his own way more than anyone else can. That's about it for him. But uh, yeah, I love that show. It's such a it's such an honor to be a part of. And I think Stephen Fox is just so brilliant. And um, it was that was another show where I, you know, I did the pilot and they you just you try so hard to detach from things um, in this business because things just never come to anything or they go away or you get replaced or, you know, there's just so many places and times that something can go horribly wrong (laughs) so that you don't end up having the job you want. And so that was another one where I, I, I shot the pilot and I was like, that that was really, that's really fun. You know? And I, I think I even remember saying, I really feel like I remember saying, maybe to another cast member or to someone, you know, to a friend that was so good. It will never get picked up, (laughs) which is gives you a real good idea of how cynical we become in this business. And, uh, and so when it did, which was, you know, many months later that I was, that I was given the good news, I was, um, I was like, Oh my God, it made it through. (laughs) It snuck in. Uh, and then, you know, to, to find that critical acclaim and to be, you know, really loved and appreciated by FX, which is a great network, um, is it, just really cool. It's really cool. Um, I'm so proud of those guys and, 
Uh, and I'm so glad you like the show. That makes me really happy. Yeah, it's the the show is, is really fascinating to me because the first season I, I thought was very funny and very well done, but it, it's sort of growing into this. Like the second season was pretty emotional with. Uh, you know, yeah. all the all this stuff like dealing with depression and just kind of like, I think yeah. it's become this really amazing show and it's been cool to, to see it develop. Um, I totally agree. I totally agree. I remember talking to um, a, like someone in the business, like a manager or someone was talking about it. And he said, um, he said, you know, I love the show. I love the first season. And then I started watching the second season. And by about the third episode, I kind of sat up and said, wow, he's going to go there. Like he's doing this. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't like one episode where I, as character is, you know, bummed out. This is like, this is a thing. And, uh, and he kind of felt the same way as you. He sort of went, wow, good, you know, good job. Um, and I do, I, I think that's great because it is such an irreverent show. It could, it's so funny. It could totally survive just on, you know, the, the sort of silly biting quality that it has. And, um, and he wanted to dig deeper and, and, I, you know, I hope he, he keeps doing that. And like the writers on the show are fantastic. Um, so I'm really excited to see what happens in season three. Uh, yeah, it, it like, but yeah, I think you are right that I think, uh, sitcoms normally that would be result. They might deal with it, but yeah, it would be one episode and it would be done. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, but what, uh, what is it like filming the like big party scenes and stuff on that show too? Are those actually enjoyable to do or what is, what is this? Yeah. Like? yeah, they're really fun. Um, both times, those big, those, those real sweeping kind of epic last episodes were directed by Matt Shackman, who I um, absolutely love. He is a tremendous director. He was actually a child actor and I can't remember what the show is. It might've been like just the 10 of us or something like that. But um, he's so great. And he's, I mean, I'm throwing up on my mouth a little bit when I say this, but he's really an actor, a director's actor, an actor's director. Uh, but he's so brilliant. He actually, he, he directed some of um, the first season of Fargo, to give you an example. Oh, like he okay. directs a lot of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Um, so he's, he's so, and, and the way he and Steven, I mean, I'm getting really inside baseball here, but the way they kind of conduct the set, because it starts with those two people, the showrunner, Steven, and the director, Matt, and all of our directors have been fantastic. But they, but that's a lot to bite off, you know, in terms of um, the amount of stuff that happens uh, in that particular space with those big parties. Um, they're just so calm and mellow, and thus everyone seems calm and mellow, and um, it really becomes so enjoyable. Was it super enjoyable to run uh, over and over and over around the sloped gravelly yard <laughs> and up a set of precarious stairs with a pregnancy pad in four inch stilettos? <laughs> no, but, uh, but that's comedy. Um, but, but they, uh, they really make it a lot of fun. And um, yeah, it actually is. It's just one of those jobs that you don't sort of, you know, heave a big sigh and then go, how, how can I possibly be complaining about this? This is great. Um, but yet somehow I am, there's just none of that. It's, <laughs> it's just really fun. You know? Uh, well, speaking of uh, large, awkward gatherings, uh, I do want to talk to you a little bit about <laughs> burning love as well too. <laughs> <laughs> It's wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. Uh, well, just I, I'm curious about that, like particularly with, with that show. Um, how was that all scripted, or did you guys get to improvise at all? And just sort of how did that all come together? It was a real. Com 
combination. I think um, there was definitely, you know, I've never worked on Curb Your Enthusiasm, but my sense is that there was maybe a similarity there, which is that we, I don't think we ever went into a scene having no idea what the goal of the scene was, but, and, 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 and I never like to say, oh, it was totally improvised because I think that does a disservice to, um, to Erica, who is, uh, just, she really is, you know, she created the show and she and Ken, um, or husband and wife, and they, um, they worked on it together and he directed, but she, she, she's so funny and she's one of the funniest people I've ever met. And so even stuff that wasn't in a script, um, we would improvise off of it, but then she would come in with a little zinger, you know, she would we it, like fe- being fed lines to like, I would be improvising something and then she would, and then at the end they would be like, that was great. Let, let's keep, almost all of that if you could remember everything that you just said <laughs> and let's tag it. And then Erica would be like, can you try this at the end? And it would just be some great line at the end. So um, the, the scariest part about saying that something's improvised is I think that's, you know, that it, that it immediately creates this idea in someone's mind that whoever created the show and wrote the show um, wasn't really doing anything. And that is definitely not the case with burning love, but they also knew that they were bringing in a bunch of people that they trusted and that they wanted to work with because that was the complete labor of love um, initially. And, uh, and, you know, they were like, look, let's all play. Let's all make each other laugh. And, um, and that's exactly what happened. So that was another dream job. I mean, honestly, you've just listed the three things that (laughs) have been the easiest and the most fun for one reason or another. Um, But ultimately the material and the people you know, the, the, the people you can work on a job that you don't necessarily end up thinking is the greatest result. Um, but you can have loved it in the same way we can love a job that, you know, it's like, I loved working at Pottery Barn. Can I say all due respect to Pottery Barn that it had to do with <laughs> that company or was it about the people I worked with, you know? So there's stuff that you walk away from and go, wow, that was a tremendously fun experience. Am I excited to have my dad watch it? No. Um, <laughs> You know, or you can go, wow, this, the end result of this is like really a great show. And I wish that my experience working on it had been more positive. Well, these, those things that we've just talked about, those are all examples of something that, you know, we're both, you have an amazing time working on it. The people are wonderful. You fall in love with them. And then you actually have this end product that you feel proud of, um, and, you know, honored to be a part of. So there are those kind of dream jobs for sure. Well, I think it's a credit to you too on burning love that like you have a character that was very funny, but could have easily been sort of a one note character. Like it's obviously the joke is, you know, she's clearly a lesbian on this dating show, but like, I think what the show ends up doing with it is really this kind of fascinating journey of your character, which I, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, thank you. Yeah. That was not something that, um, she wasn't gay uh, when we shot the little teaser. Um, when, when, when I was asked to do it, she wasn't gay. Um, but I, I asked if, because the very first thing we shot was literally like, we spent a day shooting a thing um, at someone's manager's house or something like that. Uh, and, and it was just, you know, let's shoot this thing and try to sell it and see if we can get, make some webisodes. And so that's, that's what it was. So we came in and, they had given us a rough outline of what the different characters were that people were going to play. And mine was my, mine was just like kind of the athletic 
world. Like she was athletic, sporty. And I, I said, you know, I don't want to overstep, but how, how would you feel if she were, you know, if she were gay, um, but not, you know, talking about it. And they were like, let's do it. So, so, uh, we had a blast shooting that, that, uh, that little teaser. And yeah, when, again, when, when we found out we could make more, I was just over the moon and they really leaned into that. They, the, the kind of outline, the structure that Erica had in mind, um, for the course of the, the scope of the show, um, definitely leaned into that. And, and I was, I was excited because I, I did, I wasn't ever interested in playing it in some sort of weird stereotype kind of one note way. It just kind of became, it's, I can't say there's like really a process. It's just when you're working with great people and you're just kind of sinking into this world that they've created, it, it, it just feels really easy to just be a person and not have it be, Oh, I always have to get to this point. It always has to be about the fact that I'm gay or it always has to, um, it just becomes like, wow, this is just a girl who does not know how she got there and is just trying <laughs> her very best to navigate through it with some semblance of grace, whatever that means for her. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And I just, and I love that character. I love her. No, she's great. And I, I think one of my favorite running jokes in the, the first season too, is just the increased frustration you have with getting picked, <laughs> like where it starts slow and just, it's like, yeah. really? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, can't believe it. I mean, it's one thing. What it's like? Yeah, this sort of leaning into the trope of that someone would be attracted to someone who's not trying too hard. You know, sort of like God. I'm really fascinated by this woman who just seems completely disinterested in me. Um, I like I like the playfulness of that because I think in 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 life that's so often true in a way that it shouldn't be which is, you know, instead of honesty, there's all this game playing. And I think making fun of that in a show and having it not be, oh, this girl's just playing hard to get. And he just keeps being drawn to her. It's like, oh, she's playing hardest to get because she <laughs> desperately does not want to get got, you know? <laughs> Uh, well, I, there's one more thing that I enjoy that you did that I hope uh, makes your list of things that uh, you found delightful, which is uh, I really enjoy you on Spontanea Nation as well. Oh, God, don't even get me started <laughs> on that. That's just that's just hanging out. That's not even work or a job. I do mean this in the nicest uh, way, no, but that is you. that is exactly what it feels like is just hanging out, which I think is makes it really fun to listen to. Yeah, it could really go. I mean, I'm sure... There's got to be someone out there, and I I don't think it would bum Paul out for me to say this because I'm sure he feels the same. I'm sure there's somewhere out there that's like, what they they have to stop laughing at each other. This is not my thing. Like it's too silly, or it's they're you know they're having too much fun. They're not really they're not grounding it in reality. Because I've done plenty of improv that's that's very grounded, and you know, but this is <laughs> this has not been that experience. But it is one of the joys of my life. It is. Um, it is so fun. Uh, we're so far ahead that we don't need to record any except for what we're doing at Sketchfest. We don't need to record any. And, um, and I think everyone who's a regular on that show, it felt like really sad when we realized we weren't picking back up until or like later in 2016. Um, we're all sort of just chomping at the bit to get back in there and move around. Paul's amazing. He's, he's a, he's one of those people that, um, I started out as just a huge fan of his when I moved to LA and became familiar with, um, his comedy. I like, Oh, that's, you know, I named him and 
when people would say, do you like stand up? I would say not really as a rule, but I have a couple of favorites and, um, and people would say, you know, if someone asked who they were, I'm sure I would have listed David Cross because I was a huge fan of his when I lived in San Francisco, even before I was doing comedy. But, um, but I definitely would always say Paula Tompkins and Jimmy Pardo. And it was before I was friends with either of them. And then when we became friends, I had to very quickly switch over into this. Okay. I, I, I'm all right too. It's not like they're doing me a favor by being my friend because then otherwise it would just sort of in this weird, like nepotistic sort of kind of sycophantic, like I love you so much, <laughs> um, which no one, no one probably really wants as a, on a daily basis. Um, but, but, but there is, there a sense in me that's, you know, checks in with that once in a while and goes, God, this is somebody that I just have the utmost respect for, for their craft, for them as a person, um, you know, for their talent and their, and their skill and, and their hard work and, and to be a person that someone that is a hero of yours in that way wants to be around and work with is just, that's something that you can keep that's a, that's a well that you can keep coming back to on a bad day over and over and over again. And it never, it never empties. It's always, it always feels like a tremendous honor. It just does. Yeah. I'm, I'm a huge Paul F. Tompkins fan. And I think the, the credit to him and to all of you on that show is I actually do improv and I often find myself not wanting you guys to get to the improv, which is like really interesting is like, I'll get wrapped up in just like sure. the interview and like all of you talking sure. before it even starts where I'm like, Oh yeah, now they're going to do the improv. Like sometimes just the, <laughs> the build up to it is so much fun. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. He, he's, he's, he's just great. He's great. There's nobody better. He's just great. And that's, and that's really adventure hour is, you know, I was, um, thinking about that, uh, to give it a shout out because so much stuff that I do live or, you know, these recorded things that I do with Paul and stuff like that. Um, the, the sort of seed from that was getting involved in thrilling adventure hour, which is this wonderful community of people that I hope to always work with until I drop dead. Also, I hope that's not, doesn't happen very soon, but, uh, <laughs> but I, but, but it's just, it's just a, it's just a group because every, every little offshoot from my involvement with that show has just been a delight. And so I want those things to keep developing and rolling out and, and finding ways for, for opportunities for us to work together, either as one big group or in individual pockets, you know? Well, it's reassuring to know that if you do die, that we'll have years of spontaneation pre-recorded that we can. <laughs> right. Oh, we definitely talked about like how creepy I could die in March and there would still be episodes coming out. Like, help my ghost. It's crazy. It's crazy. Um, well, um, I think that's, that's pretty much everything I had done to cover. I don't know if there's anything I didn't touch on that you want to mention or if you want to talk more about Sketchfest or anything like that, but by all means, if I missed anything. Uh, well, no, I mean, I think that was, you asked great questions. Thanks for asking me about the jobs I love most. <laughs> well, I'm glad I did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, cool. but, but no, uh, yeah. Thank you so much for doing this. It was uh, very delightful talking to you and I'm a big fan of your work. Oh, thank you so much, Jill. Well, uh, let me know when you put this out and I'll obviously, you know, tweet about it and stuff. Thanks for reminding me also that I really need to tweet because I go through <laughs> phases where I, I forget that I have a Twitter account and I'm in one now, so I got to get on it. 
All right. Well, this will be a good excuse. Always, you know, that's the best way to start up a Twitter account is just immediately promoting things that you've done. That's right. That's what people hey, love. Hey, everybody, check this out. Please like me. Yeah. All right. Great. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. My pleasure. Good talking to you, Joe. You too. There you have it, Janet Varney. Such a delight to talk to. Uh, you know, I just I really like how that interview turned out. She it was a really great conversation. Uh, you can find out more uh, about her by going to janetvarney.com or by following her on Twitter at Janet Varney. Uh, and also, uh, SF Sketchfest is going on right now. Hopefully, some of you are are there. Hopefully, you've been seeing shows. You can find out more about that. And uh, also, hopefully, you uh, if you enjoyed the show, if this is your first time listening to Hobo Radio, you know, we do a weekly podcast. You know, check us out. You know, go through the archives. We have a lot more interviews. We have weekly shows. And, uh, you know, check it out, hobotrashcan.com. And that's going to do it for us this week. So remember, kids, don't do drugs or you go to hell before you die. Say what you want, but my headphones are on And I'm thinking about turning them up Ain't nothing brand new but the shoes Homie, it's the same school, same rules Telling me what to do You say you'd rather be suspended than in detention You're not the only one 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 she was packing up her backpack, locking up her locker in a hurry Cause her last bell rang, I was on my way to skipping class Gambling without a whole pass, ready to shoot dice On a pocket full of lunch cash, blindsided in our opposite agendas We collided walking in the opposite direction I said, excuse me, and she said, excuse you As I said, what, 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 what's with the attitude, hon? Then what she said next I'd rather not repeat in public than Hold up! In came the hall monitor and said You just won tickets for two to after school Oh shh! Now here we are in this room Losing out strike one on a record And for me I've lost count Because I could care less But 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 Could have swore I saw a teardrop Fall from a pissed off I passed her a note saying It's alright She passed it back saying You can die That's when I knew that it was more than spine Whoa whoa See when you know you know that what you feel won't compromise the truth. Say what you want, but my headphones are on, and I'm thinking about taking them off. You gotta make do with what's good, with the little that you got, like a hood, make it do what it do. Ain't nothing to lose, but you're cool. Before you know it, it'll be through. But to tell you the truth, suspension is vacation. But I'd rather be in detention with you And so she took my word to negotiate a truce And vowed to never return to serving time after school I don't got much to offer, but let me get to the point Be my big girl and I'll be your b-boy We ran hand in hand through the hallways of our youth Although long-term relationships feel like serving time after school We break and we bend better than we left it Cause the most beautiful things go from imperfect to end 
My friends all say, let him know, let him go, man. I say, my letter won't be waiting on the postman. I'm gonna be the father that I never had. Be my woman and I'll be your man. What you want, but my cell phone ain't on. I'm with the girl I'm in detention. And worry about making a grain. There's far bigger things at stake. Take it easy. You say you'd rather be suspended than in detention. You're not the only one. 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 And for the podcast version, would you be willing to do an intro for me where you just say, uh, oh, absolutely. yeah, just this is Janet Varney. Uh, you're listening to Hobo Radio and then you can say anything you want after that. OK, great. Whenever you're ready. Hey, this oh, is sorry, Jan- sorry, oh, sorry. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> just use that. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> Hobo Radio is a production of Hobotrashcan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on iTunes. Hear more great shows on the Thundergrunt Podcast Network.